Americans are capable of achieving extraordinary things when they have the freedom and opportunity to do so. This is American Potential, and here's your host, Jeff Crank. All right, well, thank you for joining American Potential, and we just finished watching the State of the Union, President Joe Biden's State of the Union address. Uh, and joining me right now is Akash Chogali. Akash is the Vice President of Government Affairs for Americans for Prosperity. Akash, I guess I'll ask you your thoughts on the speech, first and foremost, some general themes. Yeah, uh, thanks for having me back on, Jeff. I think, you know, these State of the Unions are kind of a dog and pony show. I think more and more here, uh, at least in D.C., people who have followed this stuff a long time um, are realizing that it's, again, it's it's essentially a show, right? That um, it's a chance for the president to, to take a victory lap, score some political points, for the opposition party to, to kind of respond in kind. Um, as far as what we heard tonight, it was exactly what we expected, right? It was the president taking a victory lap on on some economic data that has improved relative to where it was two years ago or relative to where it was a year ago um hit some notes of bipartisanship frankly on ideas where democrats and republicans both agree on bad ideas uh and then look forward with an agenda that was largely more of the same which was a failure to really address a lot of the crises that the american people are concerned about um and just proposing more tax and spending uh which frankly under divided government is going nowhere and so what he didn't do what he did you know, very little of, um, was make actually bipartisan overtures towards solutions that can pass through divided government. Um, and then, of course, the very end, doubled down on that economic data that um, really just doesn't tell the whole story, right? When you're talking about the deaths of, of COVID and job creation after those job losses or the deficit reduction, quote unquote, um, despite the fact that they've, they've spent nearly $5 trillion over the last two years, um, it, was, it was really misleading about what we expected. And I think now what we have uh, is really an opportunity for conservatives, for Republicans, um, for people who who know that the Biden agenda isn't working to chart a better path forward. And that's what I'm really looking forward to seeing as we come out. My first uh, impression of that speech, I thought it was a really divisive speech. I'm just going to be very honest. Um, and I was also very disappointed, quite honestly, in some of the Republican members um, who kept interrupting, kept kind of shouting out, and I remember a day when we just didn't do that. Uh, we didn't. And it, Republicans do it. Democrats do it. I don't care for it. We know the president's going to come. It's going to be a show. The president's going to say things that people think aren't true. I think the president certainly said things that, that weren't true in this, but we ought to be respectful. And I thought actually Speaker McCarthy did a really good mm -hmm. job of being respectful, but I thought it, that was disrespectful. So let me let me just ask your thoughts on that, maybe that tone. But then also the president, I thought it was just a very pretty divisive speech, pitting rich versus poor, companies versus um, citizens, those sorts of things. Your thoughts? Yeah, no, I, I completely agree, especially on the first point. Um, and, and I know Kevin McCarthy actually made a point of saying this, that they weren't going to do that. He obviously, you know, can't control the behavior of 220 plus adults um, from the day. So I thought he was fine. I thought, you know, I, I agree with you about the response. Um, you know, and so, so that's disappointing. As far as the content, uh, it was divisive, but again, that's that's now what we've come to expect. It's basically the opposite of what he ran on, right? He ran on being this, this uniter in chief. And, and obviously he has, you know, some record of trying to prove himself to be 
bipartisan or moderate or things like that. I think all of that went out the door the moment he was elected. Um, and frankly, you know, while most of it was done celebrating partisan accomplishments, quote unquote, accomplishments in quotes, obviously, um, I think the places where he did, again, strike notes of bipartisanship, it, were, it was bad policies, right? It was the infrastructure bill that was just a giveaway to green energy and to labor unions. It was the CHIPS Act that was billions and billions of dollars in corporate welfare. So, um, you know, again, like I said, there, there really wasn't that much that we didn't expect from this. I think the question going forward is, is how Republicans choose to respond. Again, the, the behavior is what it is. It was disappointing. Um, but I think the American people know that the Biden agenda isn't working for them. Their way, their, you know, their real wages have gone down. Inflation continues to be high. They're still dealing with empty shelves and, and people out of the workforce. And so regardless of what people might say in the House chamber in Washington, D.C., the American people know what they're feeling, how they're feeling, what's going wrong. Um, and so there, there is an opportunity going forward to chart a better path forward, because regardless of what the president says, the current status quo isn't working for people. Yeah. So let me, I just, on, on that point, I, I guess the divisiveness, and again, I, I thought that the Republicans, some of them uh, with their reactions were, were kind of childish. Uh, some of those, obviously not everybody and in, in the vast majority of them were respectful, but I thought the president's speech tonight was, you know, pitting old versus young. He talked a lot about social security, Medicare, taking that off budget, making that untouchable those sorts of things. Uh, corporations, he pitted corporations against individuals on taxes, billionaires against normal, uh, everyday working Americans. Uh, I thought women versus men. Um, I thought, you know, the line about airlines can't treat your child like a piece of baggage, um, you know, really just, <laughs> you know, talk, talking about these fees that airlines charge. I mean, it was populism for sure in some of that. But but your thoughts on just the general theme of that pitting Americans against one another. I, I think Americans are growing very tired of that. I, I could not agree more. I'm, I'm glad you're, you're bringing this up because, again, you mentioned the word populism. Some of this stuff sells, right? It's good politics and you go after unpopular groups, whether it's corporations or the wealthy. Um, so even if there's a segment of the population that likes that stuff, it's extremely unhealthy for our country, extremely unhealthy for our country. And it's bad policy, right? I mean, and we can go through policy after policy after policy, right? But raising taxes on corporations hurts workers' wages. These pro-union, buy America policies, they end up raising costs and they raise taxpayer costs and they create inefficiencies in our infrastructure. Um, and so really, you name it, going after unpopular groups doesn't help stitch a divided country back together. It certainly doesn't strengthen our economy. Um, I think people would have a couple of years ago expected better from President Biden, but he seems to think that this kind of class warfare is what sells and what works. Um, and, and it's up to Republicans to, to prove that that's not the case. It's disappointing. And again, he's not the first person to do this. Um, but again, it's, it's really unhealthy, I, I think, for our country. And it just demonstrates a lack of, of leadership and a lack of um, really constructive solutions from this administration. Yeah, do uh, you made the statement, and I'd love to get your thoughts on some of these. This was some of the class warfare stuff that I thought was unproductive and unhelpful. Uh, he, he made the statement that billionaires actually pay less than school teachers and firefighters. Now, I think most Americans probably find that a little hard to believe. Any thoughts on statements like that? Yeah, I mean, this is another great example. He did this with, with that statement. Another one that jumped out is when he said this about the PRO Act and the, and the right to organize. I mean, he is just misleading the American people in places where they may or may not know any better. And so this thing about 
you know, corporations or billionaires paying less than teachers and firefighters. Um, these are because of longstanding, uh, you know, deductions and things like that, that you get for investments in companies, right? You can deduct your losses or, or R&D credits, things like that. I mean, these are, um, you know, not to say there isn't corporate welfare in the tax code, there obviously is, but the vast, vast majority of the stuff that he's referring to that lowers the, the tax liability of these, of these corporations are um, for investments corporations are making in their own operations, which, of course, what that does is create more jobs and raise wages, right? The way that you raise wages and create jobs is by investing in uh, your business to make it more efficient, more expansive, more innovative. Government doesn't create jobs. Government doesn't create wages. The private sector does. And the way the private sector is through exactly that kind of investment. That's why those things are not punished in the tax code. The average American might not know that. And so he tries to score political points by saying a teacher pays less than the giant corporations or pays more than giant corporations in taxes. Same thing on the PRO Act, right? He said, you know, we need to protect, quote, the right to organize. What he really means uh, is that he wants to tilt the playing field in favor of labor unions because Americans are abandoning labor unions in droves. The right to organize has been protected in federal law since 1947 and has not been touched, right? That is a non-issue through the text of the law. It's a non-issue in reality. Um, but of course, what he's trying to do is, is divide Americans and score political points for his favorite groups. And that's the way he chooses to do so. So he also talked about the Inflation Reduction Act. And, um, you know, I want to get to this idea of inflation and what has caused inflation. We all know it's government spending. Well, I guess we don't all know that, but you and I, Akash, know that it's it's government spending that causes inflation. But he talked about the Inflation Reduction Act. Explain why that that act wasn't actually inflation reduction. No, I mean, it's obvious, right? Just like everything else they've done for the last couple of years, it was, it's just more taxing and spending, taxing and spending, taxing and spending. When you dump trillions of dollars into the economy, but you don't do anything to improve our supply chains, increase production, get people back in the labor force, of course, what's going to happen is all that money that's now into the economy is going to drive up prices. That's an age old lesson. The Inflation Reduction Act not only did that, it also gave billions of dollars in, in favors to uh, Biden's political allies, right? The green energy industry, electric vehicles, labor unions, um, you know, price controls on the healthcare market. And so it had literally nothing to do with inflation reduction. All it was uh, was a sort of combination of decades of longstanding partisan priorities. They just chose the name inflation reduction because that was what was on the minds of the American people. Um, but I think the American people have seen very clearly that um, the president's policies are to blame for inflation increasing rather than any kind of inflation reduction that might be happening. Yeah, it, it uh, it's frustrating, I think, when people listen to that and they hear that and then the president talk, talks about how much better off Americans have become over the last couple of years under his leadership. But then he goes on to talk about, and I was I was writing some of these down, some of the 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 new programs or policies that he wants to implement. He talked about uh, providing access to paid preschool uh, for government, basically to pay for preschool for all kids, uh, public school teachers, raises. I mean, the federal government deciding that local school te- teachers, public school teachers, mind you, should get raises. Uh, he talked about reducing student debt, access to free community college, more free housing, more job training. I mean, these are all things that were goodies that were sort of being proposed by this uh, administration, but they sure aren't going to help inflation if we enact any of these things. 
No, of course not. All of this stuff is more spending, more spending, more spending, more spending, right? And, and everything sounds nice when all you're hearing are the benefits of programs that, that you might be receiving, right? What you never hear in things like this are what they're going to cost and who is going to pay for them. Now, let's be clear, no matter what the president or anybody else says, the, the quote, rich and the giant corporations, unquote, do not have enough money. If you took all of their wealth, right? If you took literally every single dime of the top 1% and this nation's largest corporations, it does not come close. It does not come close to paying for all the promises that the Democrats are making as far as free childcare, free healthcare, free college, all of these things. Um, that's, of course, not something you're ever going to hear from President Biden, right? Because what he's going to get uh, is a chance to score political points by promising a bunch of free stuff. But the American people are smarter than that. I think we've seen that time and time again, even though they may not know the nuanced intricacies of public policy, they're smart enough to know um, there's no such thing as a free lunch. Somebody has to pay for it. And ultimately, they are going to be the ones who end up footing the bill. And I'll give you a great example of this, right? We just learned today. Remember those 87,000 IRS agents in the Inflation Reduction Act? The president promised they were going to go after the, quote, wealthy tax chiefs, right. as right. he called them today. What we learned earlier this afternoon, they are actually going to be going after tipped workers. Think about that. Restaurant workers. <laughs> Some of them make minimum wage, earning a significant portion of their take-home pay through tips. They're going to go after tax tax cheats who are tipped workers. And that's on top of what we already knew, which is that the poor, people who benefit from government programs, were already disproportionately audited, audited by the IRS. And so there's always so much more than meets the eye on these policies and all this free stuff and, and all this class warfare that they're promising. And, and what ends up happening is that working class people, without fail, end up bearing the brunt of the costs. Yeah, I thought it was interesting. He at the beginning of the speech, he blamed inflation on Vladimir Putin and uh, the the Ukraine conflict there, as well as supply chain issues, worldwide supply chain issues, as if the government spending, the the people that actually print U.S. money, had nothing <laughs> had nothing to do with it. And um, love to hear your thoughts about that. And then I want to turn to what what is the alternative? We heard what the president proposed. There's got to be a better way for us to get out of this mess. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I think you're right. And, that, and that's another place where the American people simply know better, right? To, to think that all this spending just simply had no impact on inflation. It was an, historic in a bad way, right? Nearly $5 trillion in two years. The American people know better than that. They, they understand simple concepts like adding trillions of dollars to the economy and doing nothing to increase the abundance of supplies and services is going to drive up costs. Um, and so I don't think, frankly, that, that that line landed, just like it's failed to land for the last year plus. Um, but as far as looking forward, I think, you know, we at Americans for Prosperity, we've laid out our pathway to prosperity. We've laid out this abundance agenda, right, to increase the abundance of energy and increase the abundance of healthcare services and then different things the American people rely on um, to create opportunities and create prosperity for one another um, and to provide for themselves, their families and their communities. Uh, and I think the opportunity before us, the challenge before us, the necessity for the American people before us is that that agenda advances rather than this one of taxing, spending, class warfare, inflation, higher costs, fewer jobs, and less opportunity. Yeah, I think our biggest, one of our, the biggest things that America has to confront is this, this spending problem that we have. And you, you talked about it, we could confiscate all the money from the wealthiest corporations and billionaires, and we still wouldn't have enough money. because we spend way more than we take in. Day in and day out, the government spends more than it, than it takes in. How, how, do we, how do we break that 
partisan divide in Washington, D.C., and put the American people first and move this country forward with a meaningful solution to this spending problem? Yeah, I mean, I, I think step one, which which I think will be the case now with divided government, is do no harm, right? The number one thing that, that partisan government did over the last two years was make things worse with energy regulations and more spending. Um, principle number one is do no harm. I think hopefully we can accomplish that. Um, but that's simply not enough, right? I think there are too many longstanding barriers, and, and that's you know obviously on top of what the president and, and Democrats have done over the last two years, too many longstanding barriers that are raising costs and depriving people of economic opportunity. When you look at the energy industry and the restrictions on developing American energy and, and you know cheap, abundant, reliable energy from our allies in Canada, there's too many restrictions and regulations on the energy industry. There are too many labor restrictions and the president and his administration are pursuing more of those to, to take opportunities away from independent contractors and franchisees and you know the, the freedom of, of workers to decide for themselves whether to join a labor union. I think all of these restrictions, restrictions on the banking and financial services industry that harm the availability of capital for entrepreneurs to start and grow businesses, all of these different restrictions, plus all that spending that's crowding out the private sector, even though we live in a prosperous and, and fantastic country, we can do even better getting those barriers out of the way. And I think that, again, even if these bills don't get to the president's desk or he chooses to veto them, simply sending a signal of what a better way looks like is something that I'm counting on Congress doing over the next two years. Let me uh, let me turn a little bit to healthcare. The president went after big pharma, as as he as he called it. Um, I, I have a son who is juvenile diabetic. He was diagnosed at eight years old with uh, type one diabetes. So insulin's an important thing, certainly for me. He can't live without insulin. But I thought the president um, explained to our listeners what can be done about that. I mean, the president seemed to imply that it's just as simple as capping the price of insulin. You can just say, nope, you're only going to charge 15 bucks for insulin. And like nobody's going to pay that. These 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 companies are going to continue to produce these wonderful drugs and everything. But um, t tell folks how that actually works or doesn't work. <laughs> yeah, well, so I, I make two points on on the price caps. I, you heard the president go on the screen about getting rid of these quote junk fees, which the idea that some bureaucrat in Washington knows exactly what the appropriate <laughs> fee is for being late on your credit card bill is absolutely insane. Right. Um, but the irony of, of all these, you know, price controls and price caps is that industries are going to respond by imposing more fees on customers, right? What you can't call sure. a price, you're going to call a fee or vice versa, right? The, the consumer is not going to save any money by, from, from government trying to do these things. The other thing that it does, especially in the healthcare industry, is it's going to hamper innovation. We've already, since the Inflation Reduction and those price caps passed, we've already seen the cancellation of some uh, planned medical innovation, some planned healthcare innovations, drugs and things like that, that were going to come to market um, because they simply can't recoup the cost, right? It's simply not worth the investment. Um, and perhaps, you know, the saddest irony is that the vast majority of Americans already pay under $35 per month for their insulin because of the insurance that they have. Um, and so what we need is not more government and healthcare. We don't need more price caps. We don't need more bureaucratic control and decision-making. What we need is government to get out of the way of the doctor-patient relationship. Americans for Prosperity has put out a plan called the personal option, which is a contrast to the Democrats' quote, public option. And by public, they mean, you know, obviously more government. Um, 
what the personal option would do is it would reduce those barriers I was talking about to healthcare innovations, to more hospital beds, more doctors and nurses allowed to practice and provide care uh, for people who need it. And so all these things, just like anything else in our economy, increasing the supply, increasing innovation, reducing barriers is going to improve quality and lower costs. And that's what the American people need. The, the president seemed to imply tonight that if you cap the price of uh, insulin, that that would somehow reduce the deficit because Medicaid patients, I'm sorry, Medicare patients, he claimed, would pay less <laughs> uh, for their insulin and that that somehow would reduce the deficit. That doesn't that doesn't seem to wash in my mind. Thoughts? No, it, it doesn't. I mean, a lot of that is just it's budget gimmicks, frankly, the way the way the Congressional Budget Office and then the White House Office of Management and Budget um, kind of score these things. It's it's math that only works in Washington, to put it simply. And that's why, you know, one of the things that Americans Prosperity is fighting for uh, is to overhaul the entire federal budget system. Right. The manner in which Congress does its budget every year. Right. You, you know, we've talked about this, Jeff, that the vast vast majority of all federal spending now is what's called mandatory spending, right? It's these autopilot programs like Medicare, Medicaid, Social Security. These things are growing on autopilot. There's, you know, no political appetite, frankly, from either party to do anything about it. Uh, And they're going to run out of money. And the people that are going to be worse off are the ones who need those programs, who depend on those programs, um, or will do so, you know, five years from now, 10 years from now, 15 years from now. Um, they're driving bad health outcomes. They're driving our country into debt. They're crowding out the private sector. And so um, I can't stress enough that that has got to be our number one priority, right, is reforming those entitlement programs to rein in our deficit, get our debt under control, and in the process, also start to improve our healthcare system by having less government in between that doctor-patient relationship. So uh, to kind of wrap up this this podcast, I want to, I guess, ask you again, give us what should the American people do? If they listen to that speech tonight, I'm sure some people thought, man, he he talked about some great things that really connected with me. They really resonated with me. That's the problem with populism sometimes is uh, it does resonate with people. It, it mm-hmm. sounds good to, to folks. Um, we talked about some of the things, you know, maybe not being as good as the president said that they were. But what would you urge the American people to do if they're listening to us right now? To Should they contact their member of Congress? How should they let their voice be heard and react to this speech and what the president said in some of these proposals? Yeah, absolutely. I think before we even get to any kind of activism or anything, when, when you think about it yourself in your own situation, the president took a victory lap about the economy. Ask yourself, do you think the economy is strong? And, and do you think uh, things are okay in this country. The vast, vast majority of Americans uh, answer that question with a resounding no. Um, so that's question number one is no matter what the president says, how do you feel like the economy is doing? And then going forward, ask yourself, do you think more taxes, more spending, more government is going to make you better off? Or do you think you know, the private sector and our capitalist economy creating more opportunity, more prosperity, more innovation is what's going to make your life better and your community stronger? I think those are two pretty simple high-level questions to ask yourself as you look backwards at his track record and look forward at his agenda versus, um, you know, the potential alternative. As far as moving that alternative forward, um, I would say be curious, right? Go on americansforprosperity.org, find our pathway to prosperity agenda, and, and you'll see some solutions in there that you like. Join up with us, right? Sign up with us, make your voice heard. We have strength in numbers at Americans for Prosperity. The only way that that prosperity agenda is going to move forward 
in Congress. It's the only way it's going to be something that's emphasized next year as folks are running for office uh, is if there is, you know, mass energy and mass volume behind it. Um, and we need folks to take action in order to do that. And, and quite frankly, I think uh, the future of the country depends on it, right? We've seen two very divergent uh, visions tonight as far as the direction of the country. And I think, you know, one is is more government, more control, more inflation, higher costs, fewer opportunities. The other one is, you know, more free markets, more opportunity, more prosperity, more innovation, higher wages. And that one relies on getting government out of the way and empowering people. I think it's essential that we get people behind that agenda and move it forward this year, next year and beyond. You know, such a great point. And I think that's really the dichotomy between what you're suggesting and I think what the president proposed tonight. I think the president uh, as I said, I thought it was pretty divisive rhetoric. I thought Republicans, some Republicans in the chamber reacted uh, divisively as well. But what you're talking about is really empowering uh, Americans and uh, our fellow citizens to really grab a hold of their own future. Get get government out of the way. Stop erecting these barriers in front of them. Let them keep more of their own money to pursue their dreams and their happiness the way that they see fit. Uh, Akash, thanks for thanks for joining us and taking a few minutes after listening to the speech. I know it's a very long night for you. Appreciate your time tonight. Always happy to be with you, Jeff. Thank you. All right, great. Uh, Americans for Prosperity Vice President of Government Affairs, Akash Chogli. Um, it, look, the American Potential Podcast is always working on stories to help keep you informed as well as inspired, and we'd love to have you stay connected with us by liking and subscribing to our channels. You can follow us on Facebook, on Twitter, on YouTube. And we've got another episode coming out in just a couple of days. You're going to love it. We've got several episodes coming out this week. Thanks for joining us on American Potential. Thank you for listening to American Potential. You may listen to more stories from Americans working every day to expand freedom and opportunity in their communities by visiting AmericanPotential.com.